you are now tuned into World War I Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, here to guide you through the labyrinth of memories and tales from the war to end all wars. Each Tuesday and Thursday, we dive headfirst into the captivating stories of World War I. We will traverse the trenches, soar with the Red Baron, and witness the dawn of modern warfare. We'll recount tales of courage and sacrifice, of human endurance against the odds, and of a world forever changed. But our journey through history doesn't stop there. For those of you eager to continue the exploration, we invite you to check out our sister podcast dedicated to World War II, which explores the next dramatic chapter of global conflict. You can find the link in the description or head over to podhour.com slash ww1. The summer of 1914 held a deceptive charm over Europe. As blooming flowers dressed the countryside in a rainbow of colors, the political climate was marked by an undercurrent of tension that seemed to clash with the serene landscape. In the grand avenues of Sarajevo, a spark ignited that would soon engulf the world in one of the most catastrophic conflicts in human history, World War I. The assassination of the Austro-Hungarian heir, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, on a balmy June morning set a precarious chain of alliances and hostilities into motion. Within a matter of weeks, the empires of Germany, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire found themselves pitted against France, the United Kingdom, and Russia. The German high command, led by the elderly yet ambitious General Helmut von Moltke, had already prepared for such a conflict. They unleashed the Schlieffen Plan, a strategic masterstroke designed to secure a swift victory against France before turning their full attention to the bear in the east, Russia. However, as the German forces stormed through Belgium and into northern France, something was amiss. The strength and resolve of the Allied forces had been underestimated, and in the bustling corridors of French and British command, plans were quietly brewing to counteract the German onslaught. The volatile cocktail of clashing strategies, miscommunications, and tenacious spirit on both sides would soon culminate in a bloody and decisive confrontation, the First Battle of the Marne. What lay ahead was a test of metal and wits, forever seared into the annals of history, where the fate of millions hung precariously in the balance. Chapter 1 The March Towards Marne As August 1914 dawned, an iron giant stirred in the heart of Europe. The German war machine, a product of meticulous planning and industrial might, was ready to flex its muscles. Spearheading this force was General Helmuth von Maltke, a man burdened by the legacy of his successful military namesake and the architect of the Schlieffen Plan. The mission was simple, strike France with a swift and deadly blow forcing a quick surrender before the Russians had time to mobilize their vast forces. Charged with this task was the cream of Germany's military power. On the right flank, leading the march through Belgium, was General Alexander von Kluck's First Army, hardened men of war who shared their leader's single-minded determination. Alongside them, General Karl von Bülow's Second Army prepared to thrust directly into the heart of France. The German juggernaut advanced, carving a path through Belgium. Cities fell like dominoes. However, Belgian resistance was fierce, slowing down the German advance. Yet the strategic plan allowed no room for delays. Under the intense pressure, von Maltke made a fateful decision to weaken the right flank, diverting troops to counter the unexpected Russian advance on the Eastern Front. Little did he realize this seemingly minor adjustment would come to haunt the Germans. On the French side, confusion reigned. Reports of the German onslaught through Belgium had caused disarray in the high command. General Joseph Joffrey, a man as rigid and unyielding as the granite cliffs of his native Pyrenees, refused to believe that the Germans had so completely outflanked the French armies. Even as the evidence mounted, Joffrey clung to his belief that the main German attack would come further east. As the German armies marched deeper into France, leaving a trail of devastation, the reality of the situation could no longer be ignored. A full-scale retreat to Paris was ordered. 
fear hung heavy in the air as the German armies drew ever closer to the French capital. Meanwhile, a new player entered the scene. General Joseph Gallieni, the military governor of Paris, was an old warhorse with a quick mind and a sharper tongue. Recognizing the gravity of the situation, he began devising a plan of his own. As the citizens of Paris watched with bated breath, the stage was set for a confrontation that would shape the course of the war. And so, the scene was set for the Battle of the Marne. Tension gripped every heart, as all eyes turned towards the impending clash between the titans. The next move belonged to the Germans, but Gallieni, Joffrey, and their allies were far from defeated. The game of war was about to take an unexpected turn. Grim news spread through Paris like wildfire. The German army was marching closer, and the French government had packed up to relocate to Bordeaux. The citizens of Paris, both confused and fearful, could only wait, their city seemingly left to face the German onslaught. Amid this turmoil, one man was not ready to concede defeat. General Joseph Gallieni, the military governor of Paris, held steadfast. This seasoned soldier, with his piercing gaze and stern demeanor, had defended France in far-flung colonies and faced down insurmountable odds. He was not about to surrender his city without a fight. While the world saw Paris on the brink of collapse, Gallieni saw something else, an opportunity. As the German army pivoted away from Paris to encircle the retreating French army, a gap had opened in their lines. Gallieni sensed that the destiny of France hinged on this chink in Germany's armor. He sprang into action. The stout-hearted general knew his depleted forces would not be enough. Reinforcements were needed, and urgently. But with time running out, how could he transport an entire army to the front line swiftly? The answer came to him as he watched the traffic on the bustling streets of Paris. With a spark of audacious inspiration, Gallieni commandeered the city's fleet of taxis. This makeshift armada of bright red vehicles became an unlikely symbol of French defiance. The city's taxi drivers, many as surprised as they were patriotic, rallied to the call. Their beloved city was in peril, and they were willing to play their part. As the night fell on September 6, an unusual convoy started streaming out of Paris. The taxis of Paris, in a surreal parade, transported thousands of soldiers to the front lines, their meters ticking away as they raced towards destiny. It was an act of desperation, yes, but also of determination. The taxis of the Marne, as they would later be known, became a symbol of French resistance. The dawn of September 7 brought with it a new hope. Freshly arrived troops joined the beleaguered French 6th Army under General Michel-Joseph Monnery on the outskirts of Paris bolstering their numbers. As the first rays of sunlight touched the Marne, the renewed French forces prepared to mount an audacious counterattack. The tides of war were shifting, an undercurrent pulling away from the inevitable German victory. A miracle was in the making, a testament to the resilience of the French spirit, and the turning point of the greatest war the world had ever seen. A single question hung in the balance, would this audacious gamble pay off? As the first light of dawn began to paint the sky on September 7, the streets of Paris echoed with an unusual cacophony. The hum of engines filled the air, punctuated by the occasional shout of a soldier or the clang of equipment being hastily loaded. Paris was a city on the move. Leading this strange procession were the men of the French 6th Army, their faces a study of determination and resolve. They were led by General Michel-Joseph Monnery a man of quiet dignity and strategic genius. Despite the lingering weariness in his eyes, Monnery was a beacon of calm amidst the storm. His soldiers drew strength from his composure, their spirits buoyed by his faith in their ability to turn the tide of the war. All around, Paris was shedding its usual character and transforming into a fortress. Every café, every street, every corner of the city was buzzing with activity. Soldiers rushed to and fro, receiving last-minute orders and preparing for the battle that lay ahead. 
Yet, the most unforgettable sight of this transformative morning was the fleet of Parisian taxis, their shiny red bodies standing out against the cobblestone streets. The taxi drivers, ordinary men thrown into extraordinary circumstances, accepted their task with quiet resolve. Many of them had never left the city's confines, and the prospect of ferrying soldiers to the front lines was a far cry from their usual routes. But there was a sense of camaraderie in the air, a shared understanding that they were a part of something much larger than themselves. As the taxis roared to life and started their journey, the spectacle was as awe-inspiring as it was bizarre. Thousands of soldiers poured out of Paris, their rifles glinting in the early morning light. Amidst the swirl of activity, one figure stood tall, the driving force behind this remarkable endeavor, General Joseph Gallieni. With his keen eyes watching over the operation, he embodied the unyielding spirit of a nation unwilling to concede defeat. Meanwhile, far from the bustling streets of Paris, the German First Army remained unaware of the whirlwind of activity happening behind the French lines. Under the leadership of General Alexander von Kluck, they marched on, their focus solely on the retreating French armies. Unbeknownst to them, a fleet of red taxis was altering the course of their destiny. The Battle of the Marne was looming on the horizon, and the men on the move were about to change its course. Their journey was more than just a military maneuver, it was a testament to the resilience of the human spirit in the face of overwhelming adversity. The outcome of their daring counterattack would determine not just the fate of Paris, but of the entire world. Chapter 2 The Battle Unfolds September 9 arrived with an air of anticipation. The tranquil dawn belied the violent clash that would soon erupt along the banks of the Marne River. French and British forces, bolstered by the fresh troops from Paris, stood ready to face their German adversaries. Their determination was mirrored by the resolve etched onto the faces of the German soldiers lining the opposite bank. The stage was set for a confrontation that would echo through the ages. In the French lines, the newly arrived 6th Army prepared to launch the counterattack under the watchful eyes of General Monnery. The seasoned commander understood the gravity of their mission. His men, although weary from the journey, felt a renewed sense of purpose. The air hummed with energy, as if resonating with their shared will to defend their homeland. At the heart of the German ranks, General von Kluck braced his first army for the impending assault. Unfazed by the surprise shift in the French strategy, the seasoned German commander rallied his men. Their orders were clear, hold the line at all costs. The morning silence was shattered by the thunderous sound of artillery. The Battle of the Marne had begun. As the ground shook under the weight of the ferocious bombardment, the French soldiers surged forward, their battle cry carrying over the din of war. They clashed with the German defenders in a deadly dance of war, a mixture of courage, fear, and adrenaline pushing them onwards. Despite the initial shock, the Germans responded with their own volley of fire, their discipline and training shining through. Amidst the chaos of the battlefield, the grim dance of attack and counterattack, victories and setbacks, played out. The fate of nations hinged on the strength and resolve of these men. It was a trial by fire, a clash of titans, with each side relentlessly pressing for dominance. In the midst of the melee, leaders on both sides held their ground. Monnery, leading his men from the front, exemplified bravery and determination. His presence infused the French soldiers with a spirit of resistance that fueled their assault. Equally stalwart, von Kluck's calm amidst the chaos kept the German defense intact, his strategic brilliance coming to the fore. As day turned into night and back into day, the battle raged on. Smoke and dust filled the air, obscuring the gruesome reality of the battlefield. The clash of titans was not just a trial of physical might but a test of endurance, resilience, and the will to fight against insurmountable odds. It was a dance between victory and defeat, and it was far from over. As the Battle of the Marne raged on, the days blurring into nights and back again, an unforeseen development was beginning to unfold. Amidst the sounds of gunfire and the cries of the injured, 
a small ripple of change was rippling through the German lines, almost unnoticed. It started as a thin wedge of open ground between the armies of General von Klock and General Karl von Bülow, an unintended side effect of the fierce fighting. This gap, small and seemingly insignificant, was about to shape the course of the battle. In the midst of the carnage, the task of noticing such a minute detail fell on the keen eyes of the British commander, Sir John French. Despite the grim chaos of the battlefield, French, a seasoned veteran with a sharp strategic mind, had an eye for detail. His years of service had trained him to spot opportunities amidst adversity, and he immediately recognized the potential of exploiting this gap. The information was quickly relayed to the French high command. General Joffrey, despite his stern exterior, could hardly contain his anticipation. It was the glimmer of hope they had been waiting for, an unexpected advantage they could use to turn the tide of the war. As the news spread among the French and British troops, morale soared. The soldiers, weary and bloodied from days of relentless fighting, felt a renewed sense of hope. They had endured countless hardships, and now the end seemed tantalizingly close. Joffrey ordered a decisive attack aimed at widening and exploiting this gap. It was a daring plan, fraught with risk, yet it offered the prospect of a significant victory. The French Fifth Army, under the able leadership of General Charles Lanrissac, was assigned this crucial task. Lanrissac, a meticulous planner with a deep understanding of military tactics, accepted the responsibility with a sense of gravitas. Meanwhile, on the German side, the high command remained blissfully unaware of the looming threat. General von Maltke, ensconced in his headquarters far from the front, had no inkling of the strategic blunder his armies had committed. The might of the German war machine was about to be tested, its infallibility questioned. As the French Fifth Army prepared to push through the gap, the air was thick with anticipation. Every soldier knew the success of this attack could be the turning point in the battle, perhaps even the war. In the face of such enormity, each man, regardless of rank or position, understood that they were part of a critical moment in history. The gap in the German lines, once insignificant, was now the stage for a pivotal act in the theater of war. The morning of September 10th dawned to the heavy echo of artillery fire, the air heavy with tension and anticipation. The small gap in the German lines had now become the focal point of the entire battleground. To the French and British forces, it represented a golden opportunity, a slim chance to reverse the tide of the war. The responsibility of exploiting this gap fell to the French Fifth Army under General Charles Lanrissac. Lanrissac, a man with a scholar's mind and a warrior's heart, understood the enormity of the task at hand. He knew that the success of their counteroffensive hinged on his army's ability to act swiftly and decisively. With the first light of dawn, the counteroffensive began. The French and British artillery pounded the German positions, each shell ripping through the morning air like a grim herald of the impending assault. Moments later, the infantry charged, their bayonets glinting under the rising sun. The battlefield, already scarred by days of relentless fighting, was about to witness another day of violent confrontation. Despite their surprise at the sudden onslaught, the German first and second armies fought back with tenacity. Under the leadership of Generals von Klock and von Bülow, the German soldiers held their ground, their disciplined ranks momentarily stalling the French advance. But the momentum was on the side of the Allies. The fresh troops, infused with renewed vigor by the prospect of victory, pressed on. They poured into the gap in the German lines widening it with every passing minute. The German defense, once thought impregnable, was beginning to falter. Back at the French headquarters, General Joffrey closely monitored the progress of the counteroffensive. His face, usually stern, betrayed a hint of satisfaction as the reports poured in. The gamble was paying off, the balance was shifting. He quietly acknowledged that the audacious decision to use Parisian taxis for a swift troop deployment was proving to be a turning point in this colossal confrontation. 
the Battle of the Marne had shifted from a desperate defense to an aggressive counteroffensive. The tide of the war was turning, and the Allies were clawing their way back from the brink. The gap in the German lines, a tiny flaw in the Grand German plan, had given the French and the British an opportunity they were eager to seize. The outcome was far from certain, but hope, once a scarce commodity, was now fueling the relentless push of the French and British armies. Chapter 3 Turning of the Tides As the tide of battle started to turn in favor of the Allies, an air of cautious optimism began to pervade the French and British ranks. Yet, amidst this newfound hope, a significant obstacle remained, the formidable German Second Army under the command of General Karl von Bülow. As the French Fifth Army pushed through the gap in the German lines, von Bülow's forces stood as the last bastion of the German defense. Recognizing the gravity of the situation, General von Bülow resolved to make a stand. His men, veterans of numerous engagements, held their positions with grim determination. Despite the visible strain on their faces, their resolve remained unbroken, a testament to their disciplined training and undying loyalty. On the other side, General Landrasak was grappling with a challenging decision. The success of the counteroffensive depended on dislodging von Bülow's troops from their entrenched positions. To do this, he would need to take a considerable risk, a gambit that could either turn the tide of the battle decisively in their favor or result in substantial losses. After careful consideration, Lanrezak decided to launch a flanking maneuver, intending to envelop the German Second Army. The French Fifth Army, along with the British Expeditionary Force, would attack von Bülow's forces from both sides while the French Sixth Army applied pressure from the front. The operation was risky, dependent on precise coordination and timing, yet it carried the potential for a decisive victory. As the plan was set in motion, the atmosphere was fraught with tension. The Allied soldiers moved swiftly and silently, their faces reflecting a mix of determination and apprehension. Every soldier knew the gamble they were about to take, the lives that hung in the balance. Unaware of the impending onslaught, General von Bülow continued to hold his ground. Despite the dwindling morale and resources, he remained confident in the resilience of his men, oblivious to the storm that was about to break upon his position. With the stage set, the Allies launched their ambitious assault. Gunfire and shouts filled the air as men charged, artillery shells whistled overhead, and the ground beneath rumbled. Amidst the chaos and the smoke, the fate of the Battle of the Marne hung in the balance, hinging on the outcome of a risky gambit. The daring flank attack against the German Second Army, though fraught with risk, had worked better than anyone in the Allied ranks could have hoped. The relentless assault, coupled with the unyielding pressure from the French Sixth Army, had effectively overwhelmed von Bülow's defenses. The Germans were surrounded, their situation growing more dire with every passing moment. At the German headquarters, the news of the crumbling defensive line sent shockwaves through the high command. Field Marshal von Maltke, once so confident of an easy victory, was confronted with a reality he had not prepared for. His grand strategy, the Schlieffen Plan, had been disrupted, and the German armies were now in a perilous position. After a heated discussion, a decision was reached. The German forces were ordered to retreat. It was a bitter pill to swallow for von Maltke, a proud military strategist. Nevertheless, he recognized that a retreat was necessary to prevent a complete rout, to save his men for future battles. He sent word to von Klock and von Bülow, directing them to pull their forces back from the Marne. Back on the front lines, the German soldiers received the retreat order with mixed feelings. There was relief, of course, at the prospect of escaping the encircling enemy, but there was also a sense of frustration, a feeling of disappointment. They had marched into France expecting a quick victory, but instead, they found themselves retreating under the relentless pressure of the French and British forces. As the German troops began their withdrawal, the Allied forces watched in a state of cautious relief. 
The sound of gunfire was gradually replaced by the distant echoes of retreating footsteps. The Germans were leaving, their once formidable advance halted by the resilient defense and daring counterattacks of the Allies. The retreat, however, was no cause for complacency. General Joffrey and Sir John French knew that the Battle of the Marne was just the beginning of a long and bloody war. Yet, for now, they could savor a hard-earned victory, a testament to the courage and resilience of their men. The Marne had been defended, the German onslaught turned back, and Paris saved from immediate threat. But in the quiet aftermath of the battle, as the dust settled and the echoes of gunfire faded, one thing was clear, the war was far from over. As the German armies began their retreat, a crucial challenge lay ahead, crossing the Marne River. The wide, gushing river was a formidable natural barrier, a final hurdle before they could reach the relative safety of their defensive positions on the Aisne River. Their retreat was a race against time, as the Allies hot on their heels were closing the gap. General von Bülow, understanding the importance of a swift retreat, ordered his men to move quickly. The German soldiers, already weary from the days of intense fighting, pushed themselves to their limits. The sight of the Marne River in the distance was both a relief and a daunting prospect. As they neared the river, the German engineers were tasked with a monumental duty. Temporary bridges needed to be built to facilitate the crossing. Under the watchful eyes of their commanders, they worked with an urgency born out of necessity. Time was of the essence, and every moment counted. Meanwhile, the Allied forces pursued the retreating Germans relentlessly. General Landrzak, sensing the opportunity to inflict further damage on the enemy, pressed his men forward. The sight of the retreating Germans buoyed the morale of the Allied soldiers, and they moved with renewed vigor. As the first of the German soldiers began crossing the river, they could hear the distant sounds of the pursuing Allies. The air was thick with tension as they navigated the precarious temporary bridges, the waters of the Marne rushing beneath them. The relief of reaching the other side was palpable, their safety momentarily secured. However, their respite was short-lived. As the last of the German soldiers crossed the river, they destroyed the makeshift bridges behind them, leaving the Marne as a natural defense against the advancing allies. The sound of the collapsing bridges echoed across the landscape, a symbolic end to the Battle of the Marne. With the river crossings successfully accomplished, the German retreat was complete, marking the end of the First Battle of the Marne. A battle that was expected to be a swift German victory had turned into a desperate retreat, a turn of events that was to have significant repercussions on the Great War. But for now, as the German soldiers looked back at the Marne River, they couldn't help but reflect on the intense battle they had just escaped and the uncertain future that awaited them. Chapter 4 Aftermath and Impact The dust had settled on the fields of the Marne. The once bustling scenes of conflict now lay silent, a grim testament to the ferocity of the battle. The costs of the conflict were apparent on both sides. Fields once green and vibrant were now scarred and barren, punctuated by hastily dug trenches and the detritus of war. The human cost of the battle was staggering. The Germans had suffered heavy losses, with over 250,000 casualties. The French and British, too, had paid a heavy price, with an estimated 263,000 men either killed, wounded, or missing. Each life lost was a tale of bravery and sacrifice, a poignant reminder of the harsh realities of war. At the Allied headquarters, Generals Joffrey and French pondered the consequences of their victory. The immediate threat to Paris had been thwarted, and the German advance had been halted. Yet, they knew that the war was far from over. They were under no illusions about the cost of the victory. The heavy casualties had strained their resources and the reprieve they had won was merely a breathing space to regroup and prepare for the battles ahead. In the German camp, the mood was somber. Field Marshal von Maltke had been replaced following the retreat, a casualty of the failed Schlieffen plan. His successor, General Erich von Falkenhayn, 
faced the daunting task of rebuilding the morale of the German forces and planning their next move. Beyond the immediate military implications, the First Battle of the Marne had profound consequences. The failure of the Schlieffen Plan meant that the war would not be a quick victory for Germany. Instead, it marked the beginning of a protracted conflict on the Western Front, a war of attrition characterized by trench warfare that would last for four more years. In the annals of history, the Battle of the Marne came to be known as the Miracle of the Marne. Yet for those who lived through it, who saw the devastation and experienced the loss, it was a stark introduction to the horrors of the Great War. As the world watched and absorbed the consequences of the Marne, the grim reality of a world at war began to set in, marking a pivotal moment in the course of the 20th century. The days following the First Battle of the Marne were filled with reflection and analysis, especially within the ranks of the German High Command. The Schlieffen Plan, named after its architect, Count Alfred von Schlieffen, was an ambitious strategy designed to achieve a rapid victory over France, thereby avoiding a prolonged two-front war. But the battle had exposed critical flaws in this grand strategy, leaving German military leaders to grapple with the consequences of a failed plan. Chief among these leaders was General Erich von Falkenhayn, the man tasked with picking up where Field Marshal von Maltke left off. In the aftermath of the battle, von Falkenhayn found himself staring at the hard reality of a strategy undone. Where von Maltke had seen a quick march to Paris, von Falkenhayn now saw a formidable French and British defense, a scarred landscape, and demoralized men. One of the key reasons the Schlieffen plan failed was the bold decision by General Joffrey to redeploy his forces to the Marne, effectively blocking the German advance. It was a move that von Schlieffen had not accounted for in his calculations. As von Falkenhayn reviewed the battle's events, he couldn't help but admire Joffrey's strategic brilliance, even as it frustrated him. Moreover, the plan had vastly underestimated the strength and resilience of the British Expeditionary Force. Their determined defense at Mons and subsequent rearguard actions had slowed down the German right wing, disrupting the timing of the Schlieffen plan. The failure of the Schlieffen plan had significant implications for the German war effort. Instead of the quick victory they had hoped for, the German forces found themselves entangled in a prolonged war on the Western Front. The ambitious sweep through Belgium and into France had turned into a retreat and a repositioning on the Aisne River, where they would dig in for a long, drawn-out war of attrition. The echoes of the Battle of the Marne reverberated through the German command structure, prompting a shift in strategy and a reassessment of their opponent's strength. This battle served as a stark reminder of the unpredictability of war, of the gap that often exists between carefully laid plans and the brutal reality of the battlefield. As von Falkenhayn looked toward the future, he knew that the path to victory would require not only military might but also a flexibility and adaptability that the Schlieffen plan had lacked. Following the German retreat from the Marne, a new phase of the war began. The race to the sea was a series of maneuvers, skirmishes, and minor battles, where both the Allies and the German forces tried to outflank each other. This dramatic episode marked a strategic shift in the war, as both sides sought to seize the advantage. The term race to the sea was a bit of a misnomer. There was no actual racing involved, nor was the sea the ultimate prize. The term referred to a series of attempts by both the Allies and the Germans to turn the northern flank of their opponents, a maneuver that eventually led the lines of battle to extend to the Belgian coast. General von Falkenhayn, taking charge after the Marne, sought to resume the offensive. He aimed to swing around the Allies' left flank and, this time, deliver a decisive blow. However, he underestimated his adversaries. General Joffrey, always one step ahead, anticipated the move. He extended the Allied line northward, parrying von Falkenhayn's maneuvers and maintaining a solid front. Sir John French and his British expeditionary force, too, played a crucial role. The BEF, though smaller in number, proved to be a significant factor in the race. 
Their grit and discipline in battle were a testament to their professionalism and training, giving the Allies a much-needed edge. The race continued, marked by engagements like the First Battle of Albert and the First Battle of Arras. Yet, neither side was able to gain a decisive advantage. The front line moved northward, slowly inching its way to the English Channel. The result was a stalemate, the static line of trenches that came to symbolize the Western Front in World War I. The race to the sea marked the end of the War of Movement. The war was transitioning to a new phase, trench warfare, a grueling war of attrition that would dominate the Western Front for the next four years. As the last open flank reached the Belgian coast, both sides dug in, creating a fortified line of trenches that stretched from the North Sea to the Swiss border. The dream of a quick victory had given way to the harsh reality of a prolonged war, setting the stage for the bloody stalemate that would come to define World War I. Chapter 5 Wider Implications for World War I The race to the sea marked the beginning of a new chapter in World War I, the advent of trench warfare. The failure to outflank each other led both the Allies and the Germans to dig in, quite literally, as they sought to defend their positions. This transition heralded a fundamental shift in the nature of the conflict, turning the Western Front into a protracted, deadly standoff. Imagine the scene miles upon miles of trenches, zigzagging across the countryside from the English Channel to the Swiss frontier. The landscape was transformed into a checkerboard of ditches and embankments, punctuated by barbed wire and sandbags. Men lived, fought, and often died in these muddy, narrow corridors, their existence defined by the daily struggle for survival. General Joffrey, the French commander, had hoped to break the stalemate with a series of offensive actions. Yet, each attack was met with fierce resistance from the entrenched German positions. The German machine guns, while protected behind the lines of trenches and barbed wire, mowed down wave after wave of French infantry. Despite the heavy losses, Joffrey remained committed to his strategy, believing that only a strong offensive could bring victory. On the German side, von Falkenhayn, now fully in command, saw things differently. He viewed the trench system as a way to hold the Western Front while Germany dealt with the threat from Russia on the Eastern Front. He understood the defensive advantage the trenches provided and used them to his advantage. One notable figure in this new phase of warfare was the British soldier poet Siegfried Sassoon. His poetry painted a vivid, albeit grim, picture of life in the trenches. From the constant threat of enemy snipers to the maddening drone of artillery fire, Sassoon's words encapsulated the harrowing reality of trench warfare, helping to etch its horrors in the collective memory of future generations. The advent of trench warfare marked a turning point in World War I. What had started as a conflict of movement and grand offensives had turned into a grueling stalemate, a war of attrition where gains were measured in yards rather than miles. As the soldiers hunkered down in their trenches, the war took on a new rhythm, defined not by the swift cavalry charges of old but by the grim patience of waiting, enduring, and fighting from the trench lines. The Battle of the Marne had set the stage for this shift, its legacy etched not just in the history books but also in the muddy trenches of the Western Front. The transition to trench warfare marked the beginning of a grueling war of attrition. With both the Allies and the Central Powers entrenched in fortified positions, the war was no longer about swift maneuvers but about endurance. It was a waiting game, a test of which side could hold out the longest under the most harrowing of circumstances. One figure who came to embody this shift was Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, the German commander on the Eastern Front who was later called to the Western Front. An imposing figure, von Hindenburg was a master strategist known for his ability to maximize defensive advantages making him an ideal leader for the static trench warfare that had become the norm. Under his leadership, the German army used the trenches to wear down their enemies, forcing the Allies to launch costly offensives against fortified positions. For the Allied forces, British General Douglas Haig personified the stubborn commitment to the war of attrition. Believing that breakthroughs could only be achieved through relentless offensive actions, 
Haig repeatedly sent men over the top, incurring heavy casualties for incremental gains. This approach came at a steep price, earning him the nickname Butcher Haig. In the trenches, men experienced the war of attrition in its harshest form. One of them was Private Albert Ball, a British soldier who later became one of the country's most celebrated fighter pilots. In his letters home, Ball described the monotony and terror of trench life, the squalid conditions, the sleepless nights under constant artillery fire, and the ever-present threat of a gas attack or a sudden enemy raid. Behind the front lines, the war of attrition was felt in other ways. Civilians faced food shortages, as agricultural production dropped and resources were funneled towards the war effort. Women, stepping into roles left vacant by men gone to war, worked tirelessly in factories to produce the munitions necessary to keep the war going. On the home front and the battle front, the war of attrition was a relentless grind that tested the resolve of all those involved. The war of attrition came to define the middle years of World War I. It was a period characterized not by decisive victories but by incremental gains, each achieved at an enormous human cost. The First Battle of the Marne set the stage for this new phase of the war, marking the end of the War of Movement and the beginning of a long, costly standoff that would claim millions of lives before it was over. This brutal reality of attrition warfare brought the harsh reality of World War I into stark relief, revealing the true cost of a war fought not just on the battlefields, but on the endurance and resilience of nations. The Battle of the Marne didn't just reshape the Western Front, it had far-reaching implications, thrusting the war onto a global stage. The Marne showed the world that the war would not be a short, decisive conflict, but a drawn-out, global struggle that would pull in nations far beyond Europe. In the United States, President Woodrow Wilson was carefully observing the events in Europe. Although he had declared neutrality, the prolonged stalemate and human cost started to shift public opinion. One figure, in particular, a journalist named George Creel, played a critical role in this. His gripping accounts of German atrocities helped sway public sentiment, slowly preparing the American people for the possibility of joining the conflict. Meanwhile, in the East, Japan eyed the war with interest. As an ally of the United Kingdom, the prolonged European war presented an opportunity for Japan to expand its influence in Asia, particularly in German-occupied territories like Tsingdao and China. Baron Kato Takaki, the Japanese Minister for Foreign Affairs, navigated this delicate geopolitical landscape with the precision of a chess player, positioning Japan as a rising world power. In the Ottoman Empire, the war in Europe opened up new possibilities for regaining lost territories and restoring national pride. Leaders like Enver Pasha saw alliances with the Central Powers as a way to realize these ambitions. The Battle of the Marne, with its drastic shift to a war of attrition, convinced the Ottomans of the potential weakness of the European powers, ultimately leading to their entry into the war in November 1914. The British dominions of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and South Africa, though geographically distant, were not spared from the global reach of the war. Thousands of men from these dominions would join the war effort, their involvement symbolized by significant battles such as Gallipoli and Vimy Ridge. Figures like Andrew Hamilton Galt, the Canadian financier who raised his own regiment, epitomized the Dominion's commitment to the Allied cause. The Marne's reverberations weren't limited to the trenches on the Western Front, they echoed around the world. The change from quick victory to drawn-out struggle marked a critical juncture, transforming the conflict into a truly global war. From the corridors of power in Washington and Tokyo to the deserts of the Ottoman Empire and the distant shores of the British Dominions, the Battle of the Marne had a profound and lasting impact, reshaping the world in ways that still resonate today. Chapter 6 The Legacy of the First Battle of the Marne The Battle of the Marne, like any significant historical event, was populated by a cast of both heroes and villains, figures who were lauded or vilified based on their actions. The unfolding drama of the battle, seen through the prism of these key personalities, 
offers a deeper understanding of the human stories behind the broader narrative of war. On the hero's side, one figure who stood out was General Joseph Joffrey. The French commander-in-chief, affectionately known as Papa Joffrey, was credited with halting the German advance and orchestrating the counterattack at the Marne. Despite initial setbacks, his calm, steadfast leadership, coupled with his strategic brilliance, rallied the French troops and turned the tide of the battle. His role in the Marne catapulted him into the annals of French military history as a national hero. In contrast, the villain in the narrative was often painted as Helmuth von Maltke, the chief of the German general staff. Despite his initial success, his failure to communicate effectively and maintain control over his subordinate commanders ultimately led to strategic blunders and the subsequent German retreat. He was relieved of his position shortly after the battle, and his legacy has been colored by this defeat. Yet, the narrative of heroes and villains was not confined to the generals and commanders. On the front lines, ordinary soldiers emerged as heroes, their valor and resilience celebrated in wartime propaganda and remembered in post-war commemorations. Figures like French infantryman Pierre Ruffin, who single-handedly defended his position against a German assault, epitomized the courage and determination of the common soldier. However, there were also figures who were demonized, portrayed as villains to stir patriotic fervor or justify the ongoing struggle. Stories of German soldiers, or Huns, committing atrocities against innocent civilians were widespread, fueling anti-German sentiment and reinforcing the narrative of a righteous war against a barbaric enemy. The narrative of heroes and villains, often simplified and romanticized, played a crucial role in shaping public perceptions of the battle and the war. It provided a lens through which people could make sense of the complex, often overwhelming reality of war. The Battle of the Marne, with its dramatic turn of events and larger-than-life personalities, offered a rich tapestry for the creation of such narratives, serving as a reminder of the enduring human stories beneath the broader sweep of history. Beyond the raw facts and figures, the First Battle of the Marne holds powerful symbolism. It transcends the boundaries of a military engagement to become an emblem of resilience, strategic genius, and the pivotal turning points in history. To the French, the Marne is a symbol of national defiance and resilience. The taxicabs of Paris, pressed into service to ferry troops to the front, stand as a potent symbol of the nation's collective effort to resist the German invasion. These taxis, known as the Taxis of the Marne, have become an iconic image of French national spirit. The drivers, ordinary citizens called to extraordinary duty, personified the nation's resolve and unity in the face of adversity. General Joseph Joffrey, with his steady leadership and strategic genius, symbolized the military prowess that helped save Paris and alter the course of the war. He stands as a symbol of the essential French spirit gutsy, resilient, and unyielding in the face of overwhelming odds. His face, with its characteristic bushy mustache and calm gaze, would grace countless posters and postcards, his persona imbued with the essence of France's never-say-die spirit. For the German side, the Marne was a symbol of missed opportunities and the folly of overconfidence. Helmuth von Maltke stands as a cautionary figure, embodying the consequences of poor communication and lack of decisiveness. His failure became a lesson in strategic leadership, serving as a stark reminder of the price of hubris. But perhaps more broadly, the Marne symbolizes the moment when the nature of war changed dramatically. It marked the end of the belief in a swift, decisive war and ushered in the brutal reality of trench warfare. The war of movement gave way to a war of attrition, signifying a new era of prolonged conflict, the reverberations of which would be felt worldwide. The Marne, thus, is not just a battle. It is a symbol, a powerful narrative device that carries the stories, the lessons, and the spirit of an era. It remains etched in our collective memory, a testament to the courage, the sacrifices, and the strategic choices that shaped the course of history. The First Battle of the Marne was a pivotal moment in World War I, 
and it offered valuable lessons that would shape military strategy and tactics for years to come. From the commanders in the field to the soldiers in the trenches, the battle provided a crucible of experience and insight, yielding important lessons for future conflicts. General Joseph Joffrey, the French commander-in-chief, emerged from the battle with a key lesson the importance of flexibility and adaptability. The success of the French counteroffensive relied on his ability to reassess the situation, change his plans, and exploit opportunities as they arose. Joffrey understood that rigid adherence to preconceived strategies could lead to disaster, and his willingness to adjust his tactics accordingly became a hallmark of his leadership. On the German side, the battle taught a harsh lesson about the dangers of overextension and the need for clear communication. Field Marshal von Moltke's failure to effectively communicate his intentions and maintain control over his subordinate commanders led to confusion and a lack of coordination. The German command structure learned the hard way that successful offensives required not just decisive action but also clear lines of communication and unity of purpose. At the tactical level, the battle revealed the importance of prepared defenses and the use of terrain to advantage. The effectiveness of the French trenches and the natural barriers of the Marne River disrupted the German advance and provided crucial defensive positions. The Battle of the Marne demonstrated the significance of fortified positions, entrenchments, and the use of cover to minimize casualties. The battle also highlighted the critical role of logistics. Supply lines and the ability to sustain operations were crucial factors in determining success. The German retreat from the Marne underscored the challenges of maintaining a forward advance without adequate resources, while the Allies' ability to sustain their counteroffensive demonstrated the importance of efficient logistics and supply management. For the soldiers in the trenches, the Battle of the Marne taught the harsh realities of modern warfare. The importance of teamwork, Discipline and adaptability in the face of overwhelming odds became evident. The battles along the Marne River revealed the need for effective communication, the value of intelligence gathering, and the necessity of endurance in the face of adversity. The lessons learned from the Battle of the Marne reverberated throughout the war and beyond. The importance of flexibility, communication, prepared defenses, logistics, and the resilience of soldiers became fundamental tenets of military doctrine. Future conflicts would draw on the experiences and lessons of the Marne, ensuring that the sacrifices made on those battlefields would not be in vain.